It's now time for Talkin' Boxing with Billy C. It began as a podcast, went live on the net, and transformed into a full-blown empire. It's the only daily boxing talk show on the planet, hosted by the only guy with the balls to do it. Many have stepped into the ring. Many have tried to take the belt. And one by one, they've fallen. Another victim of the undisputed heavyweight champion of Boxing Talk Radio. Talking Boxing with Billy C is on now. My style is impetuous. My defense is impregnable. And I'm just ferocious. I want your heart. Live from the Billy C. Studios in Lake George, New York. I'm Bill Caligero, and it's time for the Billy C. Show. Good morning, good day, good evening, whenever you're listening, whenever you're watching. I hope you're doing okay today. Today's show is being brought to us in part by Sal's Neighborhood Pizzeria and Italian Restaurant, located on beautiful St. Simons Island in Georgia. Check out the website, www.salsneighborhoodpizzeria.com. I'll give my man a call, 912 268 2-8-9-1-2-2-6-8-2-3-2-8. Find out why I go all the way to St. Simon's for an authentic Italian meal. And today's show is being brought to us in part by my book, Tom Molino, From Bondage to Venice Man on the Planet. It's available right now where all good books are sold, and you can get a copy of it right now where you're watching or listening to the show. Just visit bondsandnoble.com or amazon.com. Find out why I'm so adamant about getting Tom Molino's story told and why I want you guys boxing fans, and then some, to know about Tom Molino. Hey, you looking to get a signed copy? Just visit our website, billycboxing.com. And uh, don't forget, if you're looking to get multiple copies, which uh, I strongly suggest uh, at a discount price, just drop me an email and I'll hook you up, billy at talkinboxing, T-A-L-K-I-N-B-O-X-I-N-G.com. Um on today's show, we're going to be uh, giving you our uh, breakdowns and predictions of, of course, Deontay Wilder against uh, uh, Luis Ortiz, but uh, also the HBO card, uh, the big fight, uh, Dmitry Bivol against Sylvan Barrera, and uh, the return of uh, Sergey Kovalev uh, and his opponent. We'll, we'll chat about that. Also, I'm going to touch briefly uh, on uh, the undercard for uh, Ortiz and uh, Wilder, as well as the return of Kel Brook. Uh, but first, and we'll, Dax Khan will be joining us a little bit later, giving getting his thoughts and predictions. But first, I, I wanted to get some news out of the way. Um, according to multiple reports, um, e, a top rank uh, offered Manny Pacquiao. Now, Manny Pacquiao is still under, um, you know, under contract with Top Rank. There's been some rumblings that Manny Pacquiao and Freddie Roach have kind of been on the outs. And that uh, Manny Pacquiao is considering kicking Freddie Roach to the curb, which, listen, I think Freddie Roach at this stage of his career is a bit overrated. But Manny Pacquiao's, uh, you know, performances in the ring have nothing to do with, uh, um, you know, Freddie Roach. But that's just my opinion. Um, But apparently, Top Rank wanted Manny Pacquiao to fight as a co-main event, not the main event. Now, this is Manny Pacquiao, who's been fighting main events and pay-per-view events for years, uh, wanted him to fight as a co-main event 
against Mike Alvarado uh, on the Terrence Crawford-Jeff Horn fight, which is going to be taking place in Vegas uh, on April 16th. Now, if you recall, Jeff Horn was the guy who beat Manny Pacquiao for his WBO title. So uh, uh, according to uh, Camp Pacquiao, they said that was an insulting fight. So, uh, I, quite honestly, I'm not sure why Manny Pacquiao is even considering fighting again. I mean, in the large scope of things, I think he's an all-time great fighter. I'm actually, right now, if I had to make the decision, and that may change in five years when uh, uh, when they're both eligible, but right now, if I had to make a decision, I would actually put him above Floyd Mayweather in the all-time great uh, category, despite Floyd beating him. Um, and the reason is because of the excitement level and all the other great fights that Manny Pacquiao uh, gave us. Uh, but uh, that's neither here nor there because uh, neither one of them are eligible for any kind of Hall of Fame. Uh, and uh, as far as all-time greats, I like to let that uh, uh, sink in for you know five years after they're done. But uh, considering the fight was insulting to Manny Pacquiao, joining me right now, from uh, a place that's got a lot better weather going on than what I got uh, out my window uh, is uh, Sal Rocky Senecola. And Sal, what's your thoughts on uh, Top Rank offering Manny Pacquiao a fight on the undercard of Jeff Horn, Terrence Crawford? Well, I, I'll tell you, I think Manny Pacquiao should really, I, I, I know that's not, really uh anything less than an insult to him but he's got to really uh look at where he is at his career at this point in his career i mean that's why i'm saying you know unless he came back to fight floyd mayweather as he professed and promised and wanted to do there there's no need for him to come back and he, they're going to keep him around and give him empty promises just as says he's going to be fodder for these young bucks coming up and doing anything else, and they're going to earn a name. And Manny Pacquiao was a stellar champion, a fighter, never never walked away from a, any anybody. And you know what? I think, uh, in my opinion, I think he, he fought a couple of weight classes above his best and uh, certainly has a welterweight. I think he uh, he's, he's proven what he could do, but I think it's time for him to either – Get out and do what he's got to do with, with his politics and his country, and um, and enjoy life, and maybe be on uh, standby with commentary, and maybe training, and maybe doing other things for uh, for for the fight game. But you know what? I, I I'd hate to see him uh, just age before our our eyes and uh, become fodder for the the Jeff Horns or or the uh, other guys that are coming up, uh, and 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 that's what's going to happen. You mark my words. I think that, uh, you know, I, I think he's already aged. And I, as far as the Mayweather uh, reference you made, I, I think that if Mayweather wanted to fight, Pacquiao would certainly do it. it that, that ball was in Mayweather's hands. But here's yeah. the truth. The sad truth is, is Manny Pacquiao has diminished to the point where he would, he should be the second fiddle to Terrence Crawford and and Jeff. Oh yeah, I mean, I mean that's means. that's the sad truth. And although truth. he he finds it insulting that the offer was made, um, you know, as you allude to, I mean that's the way the the belt the, the, the game the, goes. That's it's the not... way to that's the way to speed bag bounces, man. Because uh, the truth of the matter is, 
you're only as good as your last performance. He lost. That's what I always hasn't say. fought. You know, uh, last night I watched an old movie, The Joe Lewis Story, and uh, uh, they focused on all his success. And the movie was uh, in 1953, I think, is when uh, it came out. So they really didn't uh, even have all the real downslide. But uh, it's the same story. I mean, uh, a, a guy that slipped and needed the money, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But uh, uh, anyway, so uh, another quick uh, bit of uh, uh, news. The Jorge Linares Vasily Lomachenko fight is still alive and well, according to multiple sources. We touched on this the other day, uh, but uh, the bottom line was uh, originally Linares Vasily Lomachenko, uh, both sides wanted to fight, which would require um, Lomachenko uh, moving up uh, again. Uh, he's a two-time uh, gold medal uh, winner. He's won uh, world titles at featherweight, junior lightweight, and now wants to get uh, a... Uh, uh, a, a title at lightweight, and the title he was seeking was against Jorge Linares. Now, Linares wanted to fight. The problem is is uh, the date uh, in which they projected the fight was uh, the same date that Golden Boy, who uh, promotes uh, Linares, uh, was, uh, uh, had another show, and they didn't want to do a show to compete with it. So um, the bottom line is ESPN, who would televise this fight, uh, is considering moving the time slot uh, back so it would be on earlier, this would give Golden Boy the opportunity to continue uh, with their show and, in a sense, would not be competing with themselves. So uh, uh, we're going to keep our fingers crossed, Sal, and hope that uh, this fight happens. Uh, Vasily Lomachenko, a lot of people think he's the pound-for-pound top fighter. Uh, same thing we saw with Roman uh, Gonzalez, Chocolito. Um, is Lomachenko moving up in too many weight classes? I mean, you know, how many more can he move up? And Linares is no slouch. No, he's not. And and that's my biggest concern, you know. When you have a fighter who, who just uh, is the elitist in his weight group and the weight class and that he can go on and he could be a world beater and beat anybody his weight, his natural weight where he's fighting at, I say, and then, you know, because of the lack of uh, opposition, we're going to say, hey, you could be uh, a stellar star at this weight or that weight. You know, that's that's what I was talking about, Manny Pacquiao. What did Manny Pacquiao start out as? As a flyweight, a, a bantamweight? And he's fighting welterweight? That's 40 pounds over where he made his pro debut, maybe maybe even more. And, you know, remember Clint Eastwood? A man's got to know his limitations. No, that would sound like Don, Don Corleone. I'm sorry. I got my, I got my, my personalities mixed up. Uh, anyway, I think that, uh, I think that uh, uh, he's got to be careful. He's got to be careful. Uh, one weight class is okay. Two weight classes, you got to start letting, letting the uh, professor inside your head start talking to you a little bit. And take it easy. Take it slow. And you know what, though, Bill? A man's body. When you're a teenager... You're a one weight, and it, it, it naturally fills, and you become into, uh, you're coming into your own. You're, you you got muscle tissue, and you're forming into uh, in your late twenties. You're you're getting solid, and you're 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 in the fully grown mode with a with a with a man's body from a young man's body. That's all. So it depends, but I, I think he should be uh, very cautious and very careful, and look at how many weight classes he really wants to go from where he is the best right now and arguably maybe one of the best uh, right now in the sport of boxing pound for pound. 
Uh, we're going to be doing our uh, Deontay Wilder versus Luis Ortiz breakdowns and our final official predictions. That's coming up in a little bit. We're also going to be doing that uh, with the uh, other big fights this weekend. But first, let me get some emails out of the way, Sal. This first one's from Jesse. He says, hey, guys, here are my picks. Ortiz knocking out Wilder in 10. Jose Uzaguy wow. uh, knocking out Durrell in 10. Uh, Kovalev knocking out Igor uh, uh, Michal, uh, I'll get you his name, but uh, Kovalev winning by a fifth round knockout, and um, uh, Bivol stopping uh, Barrera in the twelfth and final round. He says, uh, "Yes, Ortiz is in shape, but that, uh, but does that still mean he will take a dive? Uh, he sh- he should not. He would get paid much more for the rematch." Uh, against uh, Joshua Parker winner and more. Bivol could be in tough uh, against uh, Barrera, but the skills and talent will overcome. Uh, Listen, um, we'll get to our full thoughts on both of these uh, in a little bit. He says, what's your thoughts on wins by Danny Roman and Luis Neary? Uh, Luis Neary should face top guys like Magladeno, Ray Vargas, Tapples, or even Danny Roman. Uh, I heard Manning uh, heard rumblings that Manny's leaving uh, uh, Freddie Roach. Yeah, we just talked about that. As far as the wins, Danny Roman uh, looked good. Lewis Neary, remember, he knocked out uh, his opponent, Amanaka, uh, in two rounds, but he couldn't make weight, so he, he doesn't have the uh, title anymore. I would definitely like to see Luis Neary against Danny Roman. Uh, as far as Magladeno, Jesse Magladeno, uh, top fighter. I mean, all these guys, you know, all these names – that Jesse mentions here, Sal, they should all be fighting each other. I mean, you know, once you become That's, a champion, you. you know, that, that my, my hang-up has always been constant. Once you become a champion, there's no more. And, and I'm not suggesting that fighters aren't still developing. Uh, I've even said it myself with, with guys like Anthony, Anthony Joshua. Joshua right. But, but the truth of the matter is once you are a champion, you know, we have to deal with all these multiple sanctioning bodies. We have to deal with all these guys running around saying that they're a world champion. At least one thing we shouldn't have to deal with, we shouldn't have to deal. Once they become a world champion, all bets are off. They should be in line to face any and Anybody. all comers. That's my thoughts. What do you think? Bingo. I, I say that word again, bingo. I mean, it's so true. Billy, when you are a world champion, you're donning on that belt, and that's saying you are the best, the very best in your weight class, when you put on that belt, although there's too many belts and who the heck knows, but the bottom line is that's what that belt replicates and that's what it's supposed to be. So when you are that world champion and you're carrying that belt, you're supposed to be able to take on any any opponent that is going to say, hey, I'm better than you or I'm in line to get a title shot and I want to fight you right now. I mean, that that's the way it goes. That's the fight game. And, you know, this is this is – this is you were referring earlier, you know, about Manny Pacquiao. This is this is a the fight game. It's a business. It's not a good, easy uh, wallflower business. This is a tough business. People get hurt. People get the, their lives off track, destroyed. Everything else. And you know what? This is the game that people choose to be a part of because they're passionate or they have something they want to feel and grab and take from the sport of boxing. So you know what? It, it, it's hard line. It is what it is, and you don't have to put the fluff without the stuff. This is the real stuff. Uh, the next email right here is uh, from uh, uh, my man Jonathan from the U.K. He says, hey, Billy C., I enjoyed your discussion Wednesday with Sal regarding the current state of the heavyweight division compared to previous eras and how the last time there was a truly good group of heavyweights fighting each other was the 70s. I uh, largely agree with your and Sal's views on the 70s-era heavyweight boxing with one glaring exception that Muhammad Ali never rematched George Foreman. 
the one thing that I felt uh, you didn't consider is how much bigger today's heavyweights are. If you look at the World uh, Super Series Boxing Cruiserweight Tournament, that has been fantastic. I feel that since Lennox Lewis, uh, heavyweights have become so big, there are just fewer of them because they are at extremes of human size, and most of the 70s heavyweights would be cruiserweights today, with the possible exception of Big George, who would uh, not have been seen as big by today's standards, uh, but uh, I feel his move... Uh, I feel this move towards the 250-pound, six-foot-five-plus-sized heavyweights has had a particularly negative effect on the state of American boxing, as most guys who are significantly taller than six-four are pushed towards basketball or football, and it's only when they fail to do so, uh, fail in those sports, they turn to boxing. What do you guys think? Um, first and foremost, Interesting. we actually did discuss the size uh, difference uh, on yesterday's show. And I've always said that. I mean, Jack Johnson in the early 1900s was considered a monster. And he was six foot, slightly over six foot tall, uh, weighed, you know, a couple of hundred pounds, 200 pounds, 211 pounds in his prime. You know, so, uh, yeah, he wouldn't even be a big heavy by, heavyweight by today's standards. And, of course, we specifically mentioned Rocky Marciano and Jack Dempsey as examples yesterday uh, for the size. That's why I feel the cruiserweight division is so important. Why here in the States the fans don't uh, embrace it like they do in other places. To me, it's just, you know, stupidity. Uh, but the heavyweight division, uh, like you say, Jonathan, uh, definitely houses bigger and stronger uh, guys. And I feel that uh, a heavyweight has to be six foot five or six foot four and bigger, weighing over 235 pounds to be competitive. Uh, in addition to having needing, you know, to need skills. Um, as far as the heavyweights, uh, as far as Ali, let me just point out some some facts here. Muhammad Ali fought George Foreman in October of 1974. Um, you know, to have a rematch, think about this and, and consider this about activity level. George Foreman basically went into retirement for a couple of years after that loss. Ten he years. Came, well, no, not yet. He came not back yet. in 1976, uh, two years after that fight, and fought four times. Actually, um, two times in, in uh, 1977. Uh, and then uh, the second time, he fought four times in 76, trying to get back, stand up and you know climb up the ladder. He fought twice in 77. And the second fight, which was his final fight before uh, going away for 10 years, was when Jimmy Young beat the snot out of him, Jimmy Young, uh, him. In, in, in 1977. And, and that was the end of George Foreman until 1987. Right. Now, when you look at Ali on that timeline, after 1974, uh, by the time George Foreman came back two years later, Ali had fought six times. He fought... Um, in the order, Chuck Wepner, Ron Lyle, Joe Bugner, Joe Frazier, Jean Perry, I mean, John, uh, Jean Perrier, uh, Koopman, and Jimmy Young. Then... How about Leon Spinks? Well, well that, that, was, that was just until Foreman came back. Yeah. Then he fought in the remainder of 76, uh, going into the point where Foreman retired. Uh, he fought Richard Dunn, Kenny Norton, uh, Leon Spinks. You know, so, I, I mean... You know, just considering the amount of times that Ali fought uh, during that time, I don't think it was a matter of Ali not giving Foreman a rematch, Sal. I think it was more it just didn't work out because Foreman was so inactive during uh, the end. And let's face it, that was the end. Uh, those, those years were, were the dwindling down of Muhammad Ali. 
They were. And and the thing is, he still had the level of talent that provided him with those victories for the next couple of years. Uh, although he sustained the damage that he paid for later. But the bottom line is this. I remember going to the Fox Theater in Hackensack, New, New Jersey, uh, with my father and a dear friend, Phil Corletta, to watch that fight with uh, Muhammad Ali and George Foreman. And I literally, I, I was the biggest Ali fan. And George Foreman, he, he, like you and I had talked about, before he was happy-go-lucky, jubilant George, selling a grill and smiling and loving people, he had a nasty persona, only, almost like a Sonny Liston-like kind of uh, personality. He didn't say much. He was very, very uh, 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 dark, always always looking uh, to uh, to be in a fight. And he was, he was I don't want to say nasty, but he, he was definitely uh, not Mr. Personality at the time. And after that fight occurred, and Muhammad Ali uh, just dismantled him in the eighth round and, and, and said, hey, I'm, I'm the champ again. I never heard the rumblings and the, the desire from George's camp. And maybe I was too young. I was only 14 to have a rematch. And that's the whole thing. You would think at that time, while the iron was hot, that either Muhammad Ali or George Foreman would have said, hey, we just did a great dance. Let's, let's do another one. And uh, so I don't know if it was lack of, of um, George Foreman's head at that time after he suffered his first defeat in the fashion where he did, and he just wanted to try and get back and his feet underneath him again and confidence level. I have no idea, but I do not remember hearing any rumbles of them trying to get back into the ring for a rematch. Do you? No, I never did. I, I don't I don't recall it. But like I just said, I mean, thanks for the email, Jonathan. It was a great email. email but, but the truth of the matter is, is that um, is that Ali was was still very active and, still and active fighting and big money to fight, fight anybody f- fight but he was fighting money fights he was doing his tour and George Foreman was was kind of on the he, listen mentally he was crushed from that fight he was so, crushed that devastated him. yeah um, but uh, I got one more email then we're gonna take a break then we're gonna start our breakdowns on all the fights this last one's from my man Morgan. He says, hey, Billy C., why isn't every commission in boxing using instant replay? Every major sport uses technology to help their officials accept boxing. Another area that boxing is behind other sports is not having a national commission with one set of rules. If we had one ethical commission in boxing, it wouldn't be as easy to be corrupt. Uh, do you believe boxing will ever change for the better, or is corruption to be embedded into the sweet science? I would love to see boxing increase in popularity. Um, uh, Morgan, here, here's the thing. Uh, number one, the state of New Jersey and my man uh, uh, Larry Hazard has incorporated instant replay. Um, not every state is doing it. There are some um, logistics involved. Uh, number one, you know, who who does the camera? You know, if they have a TV uh, show going on, they'll have the camera, they'll have the technology to go right back to the instant replay. You have to be able to do it uh, very quickly. Uh, somebody has to request it. You know, somebody has to risk something. You can't have them requesting to look at something over and over. So some of the, the rules have to be ironed out. But I agree that uh, instant replay for uh, it, it was a cut caused by a, a, a headbutt or a punch. Uh, was it a knockdown or not? Did he hit the ground? Those kinds of things need to be uh, uh, checked out uh, via instant replay uh, because the, the the quality of the referees have certainly slipped. A lot of them aren't in position to see things, et cetera, et cetera. Um, as far as um, uh, 
I am against a national commission. And the reason why I am against it and why I oppose it is because our government is more corrupt than the sport of boxing. I mean, let's be real. They can't even run the post office. Uh, you're going to expect them to control boxing? If you think that, that boxing uh, is uh, uh, corrupt now, you know, when politicians get in office where somebody throws them some, some uh, money so that they can campaign and then in return they do this and do that, come on, we don't need that in boxing. You know, is corruption here to stay in the sport of boxing? Unfortunately, boxing is an easy sport to embed with corruption. There's two combatants. You can get to one side. Uh, it's been going on like that for years and years. I don't know if there's a correct fix. What do you think, Sal? No, I think it is what it is. You know, it, 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 uh, it's worked the way it's worked for the last couple hundred years. And, and um, you know, to think that no, the government getting involved, forget about it. Yeah. I mean. That would be like you terrible. said, they can't even tie their own shoe. That's true. Um, I, listen, one, one I, thing uh, I will say, and we're behind, we've got to take a break, but one thing I will say uh, about um, the last email, um, I too would love to have boxing uh, more popular, and I think there's an easy remedy to do that. Put on the good fights, exciting fights, um, make the fighters you know, climb the ladder the way they used to, and, you know, let them meet the public, you know. And what I mean by that is promoters need to promote. You need to know who's fighting. You know, half the people don't know the B-side of a fight when we watch them on major cable networks. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, Sal and I will start breaking down and giving you our predictions on all the big fights for the weekend. Don't go nowhere. Billy C. will be right back. Check out BillyCBoxing.com now. Or feel the wrath of the mighty mustache. Oh, that hurts. Why are you doing that to my face? I hate you. I hate you. That's BillyCBoxing.com. Consider this your warning. Now back to Billy C. Interact with the show at BillyCBoxing.com. And where back you're watching and listening to the billy c show glad you could be with us uh we're going to be giving you our breakdowns and predictions on the fights for this weekend but first there's a lot of topics uh discussion i should say going on in our chat room right now and i know that you're watching or listening to the show on either radio tv uh, multiple streams uh, we're also uh, simulcasting on facebook uh, which incidentally if you're watching or listening on facebook it's not the full video version you got to go watch that on youtube but anyway our official chat room is up on billycboxing.com and they're really uh discussing the uh uh the possibility sal of instant replay uh, across the board now larry has you know we'll talk to larry on it but remind me next week to uh, uh let larry explain how it works in jersey but i think it could work very easily I think that if we took instant replay and made a couple of parameters, all right? Number one, you got to have, obviously, the filming and a, a, a advanced film crew to be able to give you the instant replay immediately. Um, there has to be something that took place. It has to be limited. In my opinion, it should be used for two things. One, to determine if a, if a cut was caused by a punch or a headbutt. Uh, and number two, if it was a knockdown or not. That's it. Everything else has to be left in the judge's hands. So if in a case where uh, you have a cut and a referee says it was caused by a headbutt, I think that somewhere along the line, there has to be a risk involved 
with the corner to say, hey, that was a punch. Maybe they risk losing that round. Uh, maybe they risk losing a point for that round. So if they win the round 10-9 on the judge's scorecard and they gamble and say that wasn't a, a, a cut by a headbutt, it was a punch, and they're wrong, um, then it becomes a 9-9 round. They lose a point, okay? Or if it's the other way around, it becomes a 10-8 round. Uh, same thing with a knockdown. Somebody has to challenge it. You have to limit it, and you have to put some kind of a risk versus reward on it, Sal, because if not, every single corner man is going to be, oh, no, wait, that wasn't a punch, and, and it will slow the game down. The other aspect of it is that it all a decision has to be made within 30 seconds. you got one minute to make the decision, and that's in between rounds. I think it could work. What about you? I think it could, but I, I don't know how I feel about the uh... – you know the the price that someone's going to have to pay to say, hey, wait, that was a headbutt or this and that. You know, then it could also be said, well, hey, we're going to gain a, another point because uh, you were we were right to begin with. I, I I don't know if I would do that. I would think it would be limited. I think each corner should be limited to maybe maybe one of each throughout the fight. That I don't could know, work. Maybe one call of each per, throughout the fight. And uh, I think that might be Ch more. So in other words, cha let, let, the, yeah. let the corner one get one, one challenge per, per, fight. per fight. Yeah, yeah, that, that would work. What I meant by risking. No, I know. Uh, no, I, I, you know what? You're, otherwise, I'd be out there. Hey, he slipped. He slipped. No, so no, no. But, but then you yeah. risk a point. If you're yeah. wrong, you lose the point. The person challenges it that loses oh, the point. Oh, I know. I know. It's, it's, it's very, very good in, in, in all other ways. I would think that would be fair, and I follow it. But, uh, you know, and it shouldn't be something that uh, someone should have to pay for if, and, you know, they just want to see it. If it could be done within that minute, there's no interruption of the fight the way it should happen, then they could easy say, and, and the, 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 uh, uh, Commentators who say, "Hey, we just reviewed the it." The commentator, uh, no, no, remove the commentator because well, I agree. I agree yeah. with what Larry Hazard says time and time again. The commentators got to shut the f up. They yeah, do. don't decide, and that's the problem. With what's been happening with the sport? You know, commentator. Oh, the punch stats say that he beat the snot out of him. Oh, oh, you you got to remember how the punch stats are sta tabulated. You got two guys sitting on the ring, and it's their subjective opinion whether the punch was even a, a punch or not, and and whether it landed. So, so you can't go by all subjectivity. You can't. But but getting back to the instant replay, you know, if if you take the corners out of it, maybe. Maybe have the referee uh, ask for the replay or something. I I agree with you that there should be a limited that that would work better. The only reason why I, I suggested risking something is because that would eliminate you calling for a replay after every single round. You know, um, like they do in football, they have to risk it. Uh, they right. risk a timeout. But I I think I like your idea better. To be honest with you, that they're only allowed, uh, you know, one or two challenges or or take the challenge out of the corner's hand and put it in the referee's hand, you know? So, um, yeah, I think that that would work. Yeah, I think so too. And, and then you'll have the referee. I think if the referee was the one to decide, I, I don't know if that'll work because then you'll have the corners egging on the referee. Hey, ref, did you see that? You didn't see that. What are you, blind? Come on, let's get a replay. No, I think it has to be limited to each corner having a limit of what they want to call for. Well, the other thing that they could do, Sal, is that they mm -hmm. could do an automatic review of cuts and knockdowns. They so, could. Uh, they uh, could. In, other words, in other words, a cut is sustained. The referee calls it from an unintentional headbutt. 
And in between rounds, they make sure that it was not from a punch. If it was from a punch, they go and tell the judges and the referee, by the way, that was from a punch. And end the story. It gets changed. Maybe that's the answer. You know what? You know what? That that might be the answer. You have a special crew uh, of professionals that are not part of the fight, not part of the game, not part of the announcing. They view the things, and they see there's got to be a panel of three or, or, or so looking at everything closely. So they could discuss it, and uh, and they can later feed it to the audience and say, "Hey, we looked at the cut th- that occurred in round two, and through our uh, eyes, we see that it was an intentional butt, or we see that it was by, by an accidental butt, or by it was a punch, or he did not slip. It wasn't a slip on the water. He actually lo- he lost his feeding a footing because he was off balance and he got dropped. So that you know that would be an easier thing too that they could say." Uh, throughout the fight, and they can go back and change the score. That's all. Yeah, and you know something? Uh, I, I, you know, if they did it for every single knockdown and, and cut, um, it, it would clean things up. I, that's the way to do it. Yeah, and and and, and just while we're, talking, job. while we're talking about knockdowns, you know, and you, and you, you, you made me think of a point. A, a, a guy slips or he tangles up in his own feet and he, and he goes down. And a lot of times a referee will say, you know, that was a slip or, or you know, nope, he, he tripped over your feet or something like that. But what a replay could show is if a punch landed at the same time. Now, the truth of the matter is, is that if I'm throwing a punch at the same time you slip or get tangled up in your own feet and I land that punch, even if it wasn't a significant punch and you go down, I say that that should be ruled a knockdown. A Me punch too. was landed. You lost your balance whether you were trying to avoid the punch or whether you slipped on a decal or water. That's that's not relevant. The truth yeah. of the matter is, as long as I land a punch and the result is you hit the canvas, that's a knockdown. And I think that a lot of times you'll see a fighter get tangled up in his own feet or something and a punch is thrown. It's It grazes the, the fighter. And the referee calls it a slip when, in my opinion, it should be called a knockdown. And I think an instant replay would uh, straighten that stuff up, too. I think you're 100% right. That occurred about a week or two ago. I was watching fights. I think it was just two weeks ago. And I saw the guy, he, he was slipping, but he got hit. And they, they they ruled it a slip. It wasn't a knockdown. But I clearly would have said he was knocked down. That was it. No doubt. But uh, it would have been a 10-8 round right there. Hey, listen, uh, for all the affiliates – uh, both radio and TV. We are not going to take a break here. I apologize. I know I did that yesterday too, uh, but uh, we're going to start breaking down uh, our fights. I don't want to run out of time. So uh, first fight that we're going to be talking about right here. Um, and, and and listen, there's so many good fights this weekend. We just don't have the time to break them all down. But the one I did want to give some time to, Sal, uh, one of your favorite fighters, Kel Brook, uh, returns to the ring. Um, he is a uh, uh, taken on uh, uh, Sergi uh, Rabchenko uh, in uh, in a uh, uh, a fight that's uh, Orenchenka, I should say. Um, I I uh, um, I thought it was Rabchenko, but it looks like uh, uh, Sergi uh, Rabchenka. Um, but uh, he goes by Sergi Rabchenko, but his official name is Ramchenka. Just in case you were wondering. But uh, Kel Brook. Kel Brook uh, is uh, fighting at 154 pounds. This is the first time in his career that he's done this. And I just have a quote real quick. He says, uh, I've got the butterflies and nerves just like this is my first fight. 
Uh, I think I need to feel like that, though. Uh, those nerves are going to make me sharper because I know that there's not. A, I know that there's a lot at stake on Saturday night. Uh, I'm loving boxing again, and things can change. And I still feel uh, that I got uh, big fights left in me uh, before I call it a day. I'd love to win a w world title at super welterweight, junior middleweight. Uh, there was a list of fighters in front of us, and Rebchenko stood out. Uh, he's a dangerous fighter, and the fans, fans might have let me off of fighting someone lesser than him. But I wanted to fight him because I need uh, to come back in a serious fight to stay switched on and not cut corners in the gym. Um, I love that comment from him. Me too. Um, because uh, uh, it shows that he wants to challenge himself. Exactly. And, uh, and and I like that. Now, when you look at the fight itself, I mean, listen, Kell Brook, um, amazingly enough, the computer already has him ranked at number six in the world at super middleweight. And wow. you just heard that he never fought at super middleweight yet. So... Uh, um, we'll uh, we'll see how that works out, but he's a former world welterweight champion and a former world middleweight title challenger. He's got a career record of 36 wins, 25 coming by knockout, and only two losses in which he was stopped both times. And oh, by the way, both times he broke his orbital bone. He was knocked out by uh, Triple G uh, in 2016, and uh, he was also uh, stopped by Errol Spence Jr. Uh, last year. So he's actually coming off back-to-back -back losses. Uh, against uh, two of the sport's top fighters. But prior to that, I mean, we all know what Kell Brook accomplished in the ring. He's uh, a, a fighter that I thought uh, is uh, tops, really. Um, you know, he beat Sean Porter in a close fight to win the title. He had a, a several defenses. Uh, then he stepped up and fought uh, Triple G, and he was doing well until his face crumbled. Uh, and then the other orbital bone was destroyed uh, in his fight against uh, Errol Spence. Uh, now, he steps in the ring with uh, uh, Sergey Rebchenko, uh, who's uh, uh, ranked at number 38 in this division. He's a former uh, European uh, junior middleweight champion. And when you look at his uh, resume, he's fought some tough guys. But, you know, I, I mean, he, his record is 29-2 and two, uh, his, with one loss coming by knockout. And that was against Tony Harrison. The other loss was against Anthony Mundine in a split decision. Um, he had a, a win against uh, Bradley Price, who was a decent fighter. Um, you know, Rebchenko's a tough guy, uh, but I don't put him in the same class as a Kell Brook, Sal. Um, even though Kell Brook is moving up in weight, um, you know, significant, uh, significantly, even though he fought at middleweight, he's still moving up into the uh, junior uh, middleweight, uh, um, you know, um, division and he uh he hasn't really uh, listen it's a dangerous fight but it's the right fight for Kell Brook I I don't know what else to say I'm picking Kell Brook what's your thoughts well I think you said it right there I think it's the right fight for Kell Brook he's going to be tested he's challenging himself he's stepping up in a weight class which I think is is a natural for him 154 it would be a be good um uh he's a he's a taller guy heavier guy i think a welterweight uh, he definitely could outgrow that and uh, he has my concern is this you know some some fighters are just not built for the game and i'm not suggesting or saying that because i'm not a doctor and i didn't stay at the holiday Inn express last night but the bottom line is you know when you break two orbital bones 
Was the first break that Triple G crushed on his on his cheek? Did that also weaken the other structure, the other side of the of, of the face that allowed the other uh, uh, orbital bone to break in the next fight? He fought two warriors, two world beaters, and and he had a double crack on his eyes, his orbital bones. I mean, that's tough. And now what do they have? Plates in them? I, I don't know. And and what if he gets hit, the hit there again? These are going to be things that's going to go through his mind. And he's going to protect that. He's going to be apprehensive maybe to a degree. I'm sure he's getting uh, getting it tested throughout his sparring for preparation for this fight. But I just am concerned more so about, uh, you know, his, his mental state and what's going to happen physically. Will it be more vulnerable? You know, when you get cut in a fight, Supposedly the scar tissue where the cut was, it heals stronger. It's tougher. It's very unlikely that that cut's going to open up again. It doesn't mean the tissue around the cut's not going to sustain and get pulled and stretch and rip. But that, that I don't think that happens in the orbital bones when that breaks the first time. I don't think it comes back stronger. Maybe it does. I don't know. Uh, but I, I'm more concerned about uh, you know where he's going to be positioned and, and, and how much longer is he going to fight. And we'll have to see if he gets through this fight unscathed and and uh so i'm i'm more uh, all eyes on his eyes for me yeah typically when a bone breaks it, it where where it, it heals heal it, it's stronger but uh but i agree a lot of it's mental with him and i think that uh it's you know it's going to be a, a, an important fight for him as as his career moves on but i agree with him he's got plenty of time left um yeah the next fight uh, okay so now we're going to focus basically on the two um, big fight cards here in the States on the uh, premier uh, cable networks. Uh, we'll start off with HBO first. And really what I think is possibly uh, the second most competitive fight of the weekend. And that's uh, Sullivan Barrera going up against uh, Dimitri Bivol. Now, Sullivan Barrera... Um, you know this guy is no uh, is no joke. Now he's never won a world title, uh, but he is ranked at number four in the world at the light heavyweight division by the computer. He's six foot two. He's got a seventy three inch reach. Uh, he's uh, thirty six years old. Now keep that in the back of your mind. Thirty six years old Cuban fighter. Uh, Twenty one wins, fourteen coming by knockout. He's got one loss on his resume, and that was to Andre Ward. So you can't really uh, complain about that. He's won 114 rounds with a 64% knockout ratio. One thing that sticks out for me with Sullivan Barrera is that he does seemingly have more knockouts than you usually see with Cuban fighters. Now, with that said, uh, you know, he did fight some uh, tough opposition on the way up, uh, some experienced fighters early on in his career. But the big fights that stick out to me, despite being shot at the time, Jeff Lacey, he stopped him in four. Uh, Carol Murat, who, uh, if you recall, fought uh, B-Hop at one time, uh, he stopped him in five. Uh, and uh, I think that uh, uh, V. Shabransky was a big win for him, knocked him out in seven. I mentioned that he lost to Andre Ward. And then let's keep in mind, his last two fights were against good opposition of Felix Valera. It's 15-1. He won a 10-round decision with him. And he uh, schooled uh, Joe Smith Jr. Uh, in a 10-round fight. Uh, as well uh, so this guy has climbed the ladder he's been bypassed for a world title shot a couple of times and now he's earned a shot against a young 
tough fighter uh, like Dimitri Bivol. Uh, Dimitri Bivol is uh, surprisingly enough ranked behind Sullivan Barrera at number 12 by the computer. Uh, he is the current WBA uh, world uh, light heavyweight champion. Um, he's uh, uh, six foot tall. He's only got 12 pro fights under his belt, 12 and 0 uh, with uh, uh, 10 knockouts, giving him an 83% knockout. Substantially younger, almost 10 years to the, to the day. He's 27 years old. Um, his last three fights of his 12 professional fights were against uh, good opposition, uh, stopping all three, Samuel Clarkson, Cedric Agnew, and uh, Trent Broadhurst. Uh, but none of those three uh, are the level of uh, Sullivan Barrera. I'll tell you that. Now, I do have uh, a quote from uh, uh, both Barrera and Dimitri Bivol. Uh, Bivol says, I hope we make a good fight and people will be glad afterwards. Barrera says, this is a dream fight for me, fighting for a title. I hope Saturday night we could put on a great show for the boxing fans. Seems like blue-collar comments for two blue-collar guys. This is a tough one for me to pick, to be honest yeah. with you, Sal. Sullivan Barrera um, has shown me more um, than Dimitri Bivol. But Dimitri Bivol has also uh, impressed. Uh, the fights that he went the distance with, um, you know, those were the ones that I, I'm trying to take a look at. Uh, but like I said, Barrera is a different class of fighter. Um, here's the thing. Andre Ward couldn't knock Barrera out. Andre Ward did knock uh, out uh, Sergey Kovalev. So that means he's got the punching power to knock out Bivol. I think that this is going to be a clear case of age versus youth one more time. Sullivan Barrera has the skill. He needs to use it. He needs to use the ring. He needs to use his boxing ability, and he could win this fight. My official prediction is I'm going with the Ute. I'm taking Dimitri Bivol in what could be a signature fight for him. And on the downswing, if this guy loses to Barrera, uh, you're going to see uh, 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 Dimitri Bivol rebound and rebound quickly. That's my prediction. I'm picking uh, Dimitri Bivol uh, by uh, uh, beating Barrera. I'm not going to call a knockout. I'm not going to call a decision, but I do think it's going to be an exciting fight. What's your thoughts? I'll tell you, it's a tough one. They're both good. And uh, now Dimitri Bivol, he's 12-0, and 0, right? That's correct. Unbelievable. How many knockouts? Ten. 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 And this is a young career fighting for a title. And I'll tell you what, he's already made a name for himself with 12 fights. I mean, that's the state of the fight game, ladies and gentlemen. It's unbelievable. 12 fights. He's fighting for a title. Oh, man. It, it blows my mind. Uh, I tend to like the experience and the learned behavior of a fighter in his later years and certainly at 36 years of age even though in my era that would have been considered an old man I think today by today's standards I think Sullivan Barrera has a couple of years left and he uh, he has a lot to prove he's only had his one defeat against one of the arguably the world's greatest pound for pound fighter and he was not stopped as you pointed out against Andre Ward so I like Sullivan Barrera's resume. I like uh, what he's been through already, and it's going to be a case of, hey, I, I've, I've been that, there, done that. And I think in, in, in any of the heat of the action, he's going to be uh, more familiar with the territory and it's going to be more comfortable for him. 
than it might be for the first time uh, with Dimitri Bivol. So I'm going to take the veteran. I'm going to take the uh, experience, and I'm going to take the wisdom and uh, the learned experience of Sullivan Barrera to beat Dimitri Bivol. Um, the next fight uh, that we're going to pick is the uh, main event on that card, uh, Sergey Kovalev uh, going up against Igor uh, Mick Halkin, and uh, I'm probably uh, murdering it, but uh, uh, a couple of quotes. Uh, Mick Halkin says, uh, I'm very happy to be in New York and fighting at Madison Square Garden, and I hope that uh, on Saturday we will have a wonderful, exciting fight for the fans. Um, on the other hand, Sergey Kovalev says, I'm really happy to be back at New York. Uh, uh, this is uh, right now my favorite place to fight right now. I can say that we met uh, with Igor since the amateurs when I was 17 years old. We're friends, but only friends can beat each other and won't be upset on each other. You know what I mean? I can say that. And be sure on Saturday night, it's going to be an interesting fight because we're going to beat each other very, very hard. And my goal is to defend my title. His goal is to get the title. It'll be a very interesting fight. Thanks for the support. I love the boxing fans. Um, you know, a little tear is welting up in my eye as I speak. But as really, I break too. down uh, these fights, when you take a look at uh, I Igor uh, McAlkin, uh, he is ranked number 11 in the world um, at, uh, uh, at uh, cruiserweight, uh, at uh, light heavyweight, I'm sorry. Um, he's currently the IBO world light heavyweight champion. So uh, that does bring something in as far as I'm concerned. He's 32 years old. Uh, he uh, uh, is six foot one. He's a southpaw. Um, his record to date is 21 wins, nine coming by knockout and one loss. Uh, in which uh, uh, he was not stopped. It was a decision loss that he lost to uh, Kumanensky back in 2010, so it's been quite uh, a while. His last two fights were against a decent opposition in Do uh, Dogdu uh, Nagambu and Thomas Uzenthusen, uh, um, where he uh, picked up the uh, IBO title. Uh, that's where uh, McAlkin uh, hit the, uh, uh, got on the map, so to speak. Um, he steps in the ring. Uh, obviously with uh, a fighter we're all very well aware of in Sergey Kovalev. At one time, I thought he was uh, the guy in the light heavyweight division. I was very upset with the uh, decision uh, uh, that he made and his team made in the last fight against Andre, his second fight against Andre Ward, in which he was stopped in the eighth round. He's currently the WBO World Light Heavyweight Champion, ranked at number two in the world by in the light heavyweight division. He's six foot uh, tall. He's an orthodox fighter. 31 wins, 27 by knockout with two losses and only one stoppage. That was at the hands of Andre Ward, and he also has a draw early in his career. Um, his last fight for the vacant uh, light heavyweight title uh, was against Visham Bronski. Uh, a guy that we talked about uh, earlier with the uh, uh, Bivol's Barrera fight. Um, listen, I, I don't want to discredit uh, McAlkin, but uh, Sergey Kovalev is going to win this fight. I, I, don't, I don't need to go any deeper into breaking it down and picking Sergey Kovalev uh, in a fight. I'm not sure how it's going to help him, but uh, I'm picking Kovalev. What's your thoughts? You know, I, I uh, it's uh, it's a tough one. I mean, you know, here's here's what I. I I I I loved Kovalev. I thought he was all that he was. And you know, when I saw what you saw without being on a seesaw, uh Andre Ward drop him with a body shot and Kovalev on the canvas on all fours 
and then getting up off the canvas slowly, not even standing, and just waiting for the ref to count him out. I uh, I saw something there that he did not want to continue, did not want to go on. But what that does, it, it tells me that a fighter at certain at a certain stage of his career has decided to give up the fight, and he lost that fight by giving up. He did not want to. Maybe 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 that body shot was devastating. Maybe it was maybe it was crushing. Maybe it it took everything out of his legs and everything else. But what 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 got to me was his not wanting to even try to stand up almost just waiting for the referee to finish the count to get the misery or the pain over with and i have a real hard time going forward watching kovalev and thinking that he's gonna get through all opposition and when he faces adversity what happens now that he tasted defeat on that level and gave up the fight uh does that happen again is it easier the second time or did he learn from that? Is he going to come back stronger and be relentless and say, I, I, "I'm going to, I'm going to compensate for that"? So you know, I don't know what this McCulkin uh, uh, is capable of doing, and I'm sorry if I just bastardized his name. Uh, but I'm, I'm no longer a Kovalev fan. Uh, I, I, I wish him well, but like I said, when I see quit in a fighter, then who knows what's going to happen in the next fight. And the last fight he went out there, yeah, he destroyed the guy. It wasn't a big opposition. And maybe this is the case here. I, I, I'm going to stay neutral. I, I, I don't know which Kovalev is going to show up. And if he ever gets tested again, does he do the fight or flight? Is he going to fight or is he going to quit again? I, I, I can't follow him anymore. I'm not a big Kovalev fan anymore. Uh, the next fight that we're going to take a look at, we're jumping over to the uh, other card. And uh, the uh, listen, I'm not going to give it much time because I think the Durrell brothers are very they're the worst thing for boxing. <laughs> Can't stand them. And, uh, I, I, you know, the only reason why I, I'm going to give a prediction uh, is because uh, uh, I'm going against Durrell. All right. Uh, Durrell is number six. He's currently the IBF World Super Middleweight uh, Champion. Um, I, I think that this guy has been a, 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 a terrible uh, influence on the sport of boxing. Him, his brother, his whole team can't stand the Durrell team. And uh, I'm uh, tell you right now, uh, Jose Uzelguy, uh who's uh, 27 years old, ranked number 23 at super middleweight, which shocks me. Uh, he's a world title challenger. I think he's going to make amends. I'm picking uh, Jose in this one. I got nothing else to say. What's your thoughts on that one? I'm going to go with Uzugai too. I think he's got uh, he's got to get out there and more to prove, and he's just going to shut it down real fast. I think he's going to try and try and uh, uh, go out there and uh, no excuses, just uh, do his job and have a night at work. That's it. All right, so here we go. We're going to go with the big fight. We've been talking about this fight for weeks. Uh, weeks. You know, uh, we got Lewis Ortiz going up against uh, Deontay Wilder. I have some final, final, final quotes uh, from uh, both Wilder and Ortiz. Now, we haven't been... Uh, short on quotes with these two guys uh, throughout the uh, coming weeks, uh, throughout the, the last uh, few weeks. Uh, Deontay Wilder has been, uh, if I call him a motor mouth, it's an understatement. Um, we talked yesterday uh, extensively about uh, how I feel that a lot of these comments are his way of motivating himself. Some of them just don't make any sense at all with what he says. 
Um, and the, the biggest reason is he still thinks that his resume speaks for his what he terms is his greatness. Uh, I find that uh, sad. Uh, at, uh, it's the best way I can describe it. Anyway, some final quotes from Deontay Wilder. The reason why I wanted this fight is not only do I think Ortiz is one of the best technical fighters in the division, but he's the boogeyman that everyone is running from. Champions have avoided him, and I've always said I was the best, and this is my chance to prove it. This result isn't up to anyone but me. Every time I get under the bright lights, I give the fans what they want to see. This is the best versus the best, and that's what boxing deserves. I, I, I don't know. I, I think it's definitely a fight we wanted to see. It's just a little later than we wanted to see it. Uh, he says, I had all the excuses in the world to run away from this fight after he failed the test. There are a lot of good up-and-coming heavyweights out there, but I wasn't interested in them. This, is a, this fight is how I prove that I'm the baddest man on the planet. Um, my opinion on that comment is, yes, I agree that he didn't take uh, just some slug heavyweight uh, to fight. Um, uh, you know, by beating Luis Ortiz does not prove that he's the baddest man on the planet, in my opinion, because Luis Ortiz isn't the baddest man on the planet. To be the baddest man on the planet, you got to beat who people think are the baddest man on the planet. Now, maybe that definition is not fully clear yet, and maybe the result of this fight and then subsequently the fight between AJ and Joseph Parker will define who many believe is the baddest heavyweight on the planet. So this fight does have a lot of uh, implications to it, despite, uh, you know, if we all think that it's taken place uh, uh, a little too late. He says, uh, on Saturday, with all the personal things aside, it's going to be an honor to fight Luis Ortiz, man-to-man, father-to-father. I know that family is his motivation, just like it is for me, and that's why I am blessed with this opportunity. Uh, I'm sorry. He says, and that's why I blessed him with this opportunity. <laughs> this guy, this guy thinks who the hell he is. I mean, pretty soon he's going to be saying that he wants to start wearing sandals and walking on water too. I, I mean, uh, uh, come on, man. He he's blessed. Billy, that's Billy. why I blessed him with this opportunity. You know what? Uh, you know, Wilder is just mentally disturbed if 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 the way he, he he has put himself so much above everyone else in the heavyweight division and has no substance to stand on this has to be a motiv- motivational tool for himself i'm sorry but anyway he says uh, the exciting thing about saturday is everyone uh, is going to come and see what i'm capable of doing uh too bad we haven't seen it yet uh he says luis ortiz is determined to get my title this will be my seventh defense and have i enjoyed every one it's a lot of responsibility and i take it seriously you'll all see on saturday night why i've said the things i've been saying everyone knows what i'm expecting saturday night i can't say it enough i've knocked every opponent out for a reason except for one uh i plan on continuing my knockout street that's what i do and that's what i'm best at when you when you're given punching bags yeah uh this is the best fight here in boxing that can be made it doesn't get any better than this uh on saturday night you have to be here in person because you won't want to miss anything you never know uh what you'll see but saturday night uh it'll be bombs away uh you know he's saying that uh you need to see this in person because as we all know the ticket sales have been uh, very uh uh, very slow it's it's more than half available and um, this is not uh, 
the best fight in the heavyweight division that can be made. Let's make no mistake. The best fight in the heavyweight division that could be made right now, we all know, is uh, Luis Ortiz. I mean, I'm sorry. Deontay Wilder against Anthony Joshua. Anyway, Luis Ortiz. He says, uh, I never say anything bad about fighters because inside the ring anything can happen. Uh, he says, I respect everyone who steps in the ring, but this is my opportunity. This will be my time. Deontay's a great champion, but this is my chance. Like I've always said, this is my time, and it's going to be a great triumph. This is for all of Cuban boxing, and I will make my country proud. This is going to be like two trains on the same track about to collide. I'm going to win, and I'm going to take this belt. This is not a video game. This isn't using controllers. You have to actually step into the ring with me on Saturday night. Deontay is scared. He's talking a lot of nonsense. He's worried about what I'm going to do. This is my time. I'm going to show it to everyone. I'm 100% ready to go. Sparring has been amazing, and I'm totally prepared for Deontay Wilder. Deontay's biggest mistake is that he talks too much. I looked into his eyes, and I knew that I'm not going to lose this opportunity. I'm going to be the first Cuban and the first Latino born outside this country to win a title. Saturday night will be historic. The public gave me this opportunity to fight for the title, and I'm going to beat him for his belt. I'm going to make the most of my chance, and I will knock Deontay out. Wow. Um, before I get to uh, wow. uh, my actual breakdowns and stuff, Sal, I, I wanted to get your thoughts on the final quotes. I mean, we've heard a lot from these two guys uh, over the last several weeks. Um, do you read anything into those quotes? Um, is there something that you're looking at that may change your thought process or, or what? I mean, is it just them going through the motions with these quotes, or what do you think? No, I believe in their heart of hearts that they truly believe that. And, you know, you have to look at a motivation or a driver. What is what is going to be the incentive for each fighter? And and certainly to be the world heavyweight champion is, is, is incentive enough. But then you look at family, uh, money, you look at pride, you look at other drivers there and, and incentives that why is somebody going to put themselves through what they're going to do? The prize has to be worth the price. And, I mean, Ortiz said it outlined perfectly. I mean, he wants to be the first uh, uh, non-born in U.S. Uh, Cuban here to, to, to take a title. And he would be a heavyweight championship. Um, now, is that enough? And are those words really some of the sustaining fuel for his fire? I, I don't doubt that they are. Is he capable of doing it? Any fighter, any given night can do it. But, uh, uh, and Wilder, you know, Wilder we're listening to, and he's, whether it's it's uh, self-proclaimed or whether it's to bolster up his own confidence, both of these fighters, I think, in their heart of hearts, truly believe that they are going to beat the other. So that right there should be an indication of, of, of a preview that we are going to have a good fight, however short it may be. Um, I did take one thing that Ortiz said. Sometimes when you can look into a fighter's eyes, it, it, that's why you have a stare down. Sometimes, I'm not saying all the time, sometimes it's very revealing to the other fighter. Now, what I mean by that, it could be how any fighter interprets what they saw. So if whatever Ortiz thinks he saw, looking into Wilder's eyes, hey, he's going to use that for fuel as fire, and he's going to go with that beliefability that, hey, there's going to be a, a fracture in this, in this armor, and I'm going to expose it. 
Now, when he does try to do that, and Wilder says, that's not really what you saw, but I'm going to answer back and I'm going to knock you out. You know, that's going to be where the rubber meets the road. So both fighters said the necessary things or they had to reveal or, or give us the idea of what they're feeling and what they believe in. And I believe in my heart of hearts that both of these fighters truly believe that they're going to beat the other. Um, we are going to, uh, let's take a break right now. When I come back, I will break down the fight, give you my official prediction and, uh, so will Sal. So, uh, don't go anywhere. We'll be back in two. Billy C will be right back. Now back to talking boxing with Billy C, the only radio host man enough to take a punch from Mike Tyson. Wait a minute, man. Hold, hold, hold on there. Jeremy, man, uh, I need you to take this one, all right? Wait, what? What? No way. I, I, I can't do this. Need I remind you I'm Billy C., damn it? Now put on that mustache and get in there. Hey, hey, look at me. I'm Billy C. <laughs> Crap. <laughs> the undisputed heavyweight champion of Boxing Talk Radio. It's Talking Boxing with Billy C. Now back to Billy C. Interact with the show at BillyCBoxing.com. And we're back. You're watching and listening to the Billy C. Show. Glad you could be with us. And uh, right now I'm going to finally get to uh, uh, breaking down and giving you my official predictions for the big world heavyweight championship title fight that's taking place this Saturday at the Barclays Center in Brooklyn, New York, between Deontay Wilder, who's currently the WBC world heavyweight champion, and Luis Ortiz, a guy that uh, has never fought for a world title, but a lot of people feeling that he's... uh, uh, you know, one of these guys that uh, people are avoiding. Uh, Luis Ortiz, let's start with him. Luis Ortiz, uh, we gave you his, the quotes and stuff. Uh, you know, I, I had the privilege of uh, uh, calling uh, not one but two of his fights. And somebody made a comment about him yesterday saying that, um, you know, th- this is a guy that, that's lazy. Uh, it doesn't come to fight and everything. And, and I would agree with that. Um, you know, I noticed that. Uh, as a matter of fact, we had Alex Papali on yesterday. And, you know, we both kind of noticed that when we saw him uh, when I called the first fight uh, at a baseball stadium down in Florida. Uh, This was uh, a a guy that came with all the best of everything and just seemed like he was kind of pompous and, uh, you know, fought to his level of opposition, which is an important point. When you look at his uh, level of opposition, really, nobody jumps out. I mean, you know, a couple of guys... Um, like uh, Burt Cooper and Zach Page are, are are tough, tough opponents. He fought them early on, and he stopped both of those guys, but they were early on. Um, Luis Ortiz is uh, listed as 38 years old. He's more like 44 or 45, in my opinion. Um, he's ranked at number four in the world uh, at heavyweight, which is important because uh, Wilder's ranked at number three. Uh, which I think is uh, pretty cool that we got the number three and number four fighting each other. Um, Luis Ortiz is a southpaw. Uh, that's another interesting factor that Deontay's going to have to overcome. He's not a giant at 6'4". He's a giant compared to me and Sal, but he's not a giant in the realm of heavyweights today. Um, his last six fights, he's weighed in between 230 and 242 pounds. 
Uh, with some of the uh, photos I've seen of him over the last couple of days, he looks like he's in phenomenal shape. I don't care about the weight. He looks like he's in phenomenal shape, so I really don't care what he comes in at. Um, his record is 28-0 and 0, with 24 of his wins coming by knockout. Uh, as a professional, he's fought 123 rounds. Um, you know, his biggest fight, in my opinion, was against Bryant Jennings. Uh, he weighed 239 pounds for that fight, and he had a 10-pound weight advantage over uh, Bryant Jennings. Now, if you keep in mind, Deontay Wilder doesn't weigh that much. So the weight uh, advantage, so to speak, will actually go to Luis Ortiz. Whether he can do anything with it or not, I don't know. His arm reach is 84 inches. Guess what? That's an inch longer than Deontay Wilder's. And for a guy that I feel that has better uh, boxing ability, I think that that's an important statistic, even though it's only one inch. Um, when you look at the last several fights of Luis Ortiz, um, you know, he, he like I said, I was ringside for the Bryant Jennings fight, and that was his signature fight. But that was in 2015. He did beat and stop Tony Thompson, who was making a run uh, again uh, in the heavyweight division, but Tony Thompson was 40 years old. He uh, won a unanimous decision with Malik Scott. Now, Malik Scott came to fight that night and also came to survive, unlike what, what he did against Deontay Wilder, looking for a, uh, a place to uh, go to sleep. David Allen was an up-and-coming young fighter uh, when Luis Ortiz fought him and knocked him out. Uh, in 2016 and his last fight make no mistake don't go by the record don't go by the size don't go by anything Daniel Martz is nothing less than a, uh, a human punching bag and Luis Ortiz took care of him to set up the WWE uh, scene uh, when uh, uh, he called out uh, ringside just happened to be Deontay Wilder now when I look at Deontay Wilder listen I've talked a lot about Deontay Wilder uh, you know, I, I don't have anything against him personally, and I really wish that he wasn't the person that he tries to be. I, I, I think that if he was had it toned down a little bit, uh, I think he would be more likable, and I think it would help him. He's with a terrible promoter and uh, uh, Lou DiBella, nothing against Lou, but Lou doesn't really do anything for these guys. Uh, Al Heyman is his so-called advisor. He hasn't done anything for Deontay Wilder except take money out of his pocket. Deontay Wilder is the WBC World Heavyweight Champion, six foot seven. He's going to have a four-inch, uh, 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 um, a three-inch. I'm sorry, height advantage over uh, Luis Ortiz. But like I mentioned before, he's going to have a one-inch disadvantage in the reach. He's 39 and 0. 38 of those coming by knockout. The only person to ever go the distance was Berman Stavern when he fought for the title initially. Um, at that time, we thought Berman Stavern was a good fighter. We've learned that that really wasn't the case. When I look at uh, Deontay Wilder's uh, uh, resume, I do see, I give him credit for uh, uh, three wins on that uh, resume of 39 fights. Uh, I give him credit for Spitzka. Spitzka was uh, not a great fighter, but a, a, an equally talented fighter. And, and uh, Deontay Wilder almost killed him with the knockout. Even though Chris Ariola was way past his prime and was nothing less than a punching bag, I give Deontay credit for beating him. He did what he was supposed to do. He made Chris Ariola quit. And to be honest with you, Gerald Washington, even though he was a coddled fighter, uh, still 
uh, posed a threat uh, to Deontay Wilder, and Deontay dispatched him. Uh, the last fight that he had against Berman Stavern was a complete joke. Uh, I give him zero credit for that. The Johan Duopas and the Eric Molina fights, those are the fights that make me that made me wonder about Wilder. He, he should have taken those guys out. Duopas is a tough guy, takes a lot of punishment, but they, doesn't offer anything back. It's very similar to Eric Molina. And what Deontay Wilder did was just came out there to blow them away like he was supposed to do. In his mind, that's what he does. Uh, Mike Tyson used to do that too, but Mike Tyson had a lot more skill set behind him. Listen, I watched a lot of tape of Deontay Wilder over the last two weeks and frame-by-frame tapes of some of his early fights and and even some of his later fights, and I notice a lot of things that are going to hurt him in his fight on Saturday night. And the most glaring thing um, is really his positioning. This guy has terrible footwork, and his hands are never up to protect himself. Against the competition that he's been in the ring with for 39 fights, it hasn't exposed him. Either guys that are finished, guys that didn't have the skill set to begin with, guys that weren't even there to fight, none of them took advantage of the openings that Deontay gives to fighters. If you go back and watch those fights closely, you'll see his hands are down. He's got one thing on his mind, knocking out that opponent. Uh, We've referred to him uh, based on an email as a drunken octopus style puncher, uh, which is true. And yes, when you have that power, which Deontay clearly has, you're always running into the risk uh, as an opponent to get caught by one of those hard punches. But the fact remains that a good quality boxer will be able to avoid those punches, get inside, and land because the openings will be there. When I look at Deontay Wilder, I see fights that he should have taken. I see fights with guys like Povetkin that he should have fought, even Brian Jennings. I wanted to see him fight Dominic Brazil. I wanted to see him fight Pulov. I wanted to see him fight Andy Ruiz. And the biggest name on his list that he turned down, the biggest payday of his career, he was offered $5 million to fight Dillian White, and he chose not to. There's a reason for this. And there's a reason why his management keeps telling him, you know, to hold off, don't take this, don't take that. This isn't because he's the best guy on the planet. He's not the baddest man on the planet. This is a big fight for Deontay Wilder. Despite Luis Ortiz being older and, uh, you know, uh, not fighting the the level of opposition that maybe he should have, et cetera, et cetera, this is a huge fight, regardless if it's taken place late. How do I see this fight going? Well, listen, I'm going to put my money where my mouth is. Luis Ortiz is the way more talented fighter. Deontay Wilder is a one-trick pony, punching power. I don't know if he's going to listen to Mark Breland, who is his trainer. Mark Breland's a great trainer. Uh, we, we got to see a, a, a good jab against Berman Stavern, not once but twice. The second time, eh, it didn't take him long to finish him off. Luis Ortiz, you're not going to be able to do that with him. If uh, Deontay Wilder jumps all over Ortiz early in the fight, I think that's his chance of winning the fight. The only chance Deontay Wilder has of winning this fight is early in this fight, within the first three rounds. Because if this fight goes on after three, four, five, six, seven, eight rounds, you're going to see Luis Ortiz slowly take over this fight. Uh, Conditioning might be a problem. Body work might be a problem. 
uh, all for Deontay Wilder. My official prediction in this fight, Luis Ortiz in a major upset. You heard it here first. Not only do I think Luis Ortiz is going to win this fight, I think he's knocking out Deontay Wilder. I am predicting Luis Ortiz to stop Deontay Wilder and totally mix up the heavyweight division by a late round stoppage somewhere around the 10th round. This is going to be a historical fight, and you're going to see that in the overall picture, when we are talking about this two years from now, that this particular fight with Deontay losing is going to be the best thing for Deontay Wilder, not only for his career, but for his bank account. You watch. Deontay's going to lose this fight, but he'll get back up on his horse. He'll become a better fighter, and he will become a champion again. It just won't be against Anthony Joshua, Joseph Parker, or Deontay uh, or Luis Ortiz on uh, Saturday night. I'm picking a huge upset, Luis Ortiz by stoppage late round. Sal, what's your thoughts? Wow, I uh, I loved how you broke it down, and I, I concur and I agree with a lot of what you said. Uh, I'm gonna say what I have said for a while. I don't think we have had the chance to see the best Deontay Wilder as of yet. I think there's more to him than what we've seen. I think he fights at the level of opposition that he needs to beat and with the style he does need to beat. I think he's been schooled well by Mark Breland. I think he's capable of a lot more. And I think as the level of his opposition is going to be uh, such as the Luis Ortiz opponent, I think we are going to see the best Deontay Wilder we have yet to see. I, I, I truly believe that you made a good statement. I think Deontay Wilder is going to jump all over Luis Ortiz. And I think if he catches him early, it's going to be leaving Luis Ortiz in a bewilderment that's going to say, what what, what just happened? Uh, I see either Deontay Wilder knocking out Luis Ortiz within three rounds, or I see Deontay Wilder winning this fight by knockout before the end of the sixth round. That's what I see. Well, I think that the only chance, like I just said, the only chance for uh, um, Deontay Wilder is to jump all over Ortiz and, and knock him out real early, and then we'll hear bomb squad. We'll see him jumping, pounding his chest, you know, being as uh, he should. Why not? Luis Ortiz is a formidable opponent, and I think Deontay Wilder. As I said, I I think I think there's more to his bag of tricks than what we've seen, and I think he's more than capable. And I think if he's ever been pressed or pressured. I believe Mark Breland knows what he has in his fighter. He wouldn't have stuck around this long if he didn't. Just remember, Mark uh, Breland's not fighting, Sal. No, I know that. Well, I know that. And you know what? To, to Breland's credit, you know, he, he was a very good fighter. I mean, how many times did he win the Golden Gloves? And he did well as a pro. I mean, he's another fighter that fought at Ice World at once or twice. Um, but, you know, he was, he, was not, he was not a world beater. He was as a pro. As an amateur, yes, but but he, you know, there's some styles that are made for the amateurs and some styles that are made for professional fighting. But it doesn't mean he's not capable of training and seeing on a fighter and bringing the best out of a fighter. I, I think they've had a long relationship, and I certainly know Mark Breland's not going to be in the ring with with him on on a level of fighting. But he's going to be there for the tutelage, for the uh, support, and for the direction. And he's going to be able to spot that. I think Mark Breland is fantastic as that. I think he's a great trainer. I think he could see and assess very quickly. And from his years of experience, I think he can definitely articulate that and, and get into uh, Wilder to keep him on track, if you will. Uh, that's why they've had such a long relationship as trainer-fighter. 
Yeah, but uh, let me throw you something there. What? The the whether this isn't about Mark Breland. No, it's not. And and and, no. and my point there, Sal, is that Deontay Wilder, and we all agree that he really believes all these things he says. And with that said, my question and the reason why I'm picking Luis Ortiz is because I don't believe that Deontay Wilder will actually listen to Mark Breland when okay. the going gets tough. You know, if 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 Luis if uh, Deontay Wilder comes out like you and I both think he's gonna trying to finish this fight early and doesn't, and all of a sudden Luis Ortiz is still there by the fifth round. And Luis Ortiz is starting to land some punches. And Mark Breland's trying to tell Deontay, listen, you got to start jabbing. You got to start moving. You got to start doing this, this, and the other thing. Deontay might listen to it, but all he's going to be thinking is, oh, my God, this guy's still standing. I've hit uh, other fighters with this same punch many times, and they go to sleep. What's going to happen? What's happened? What am I doing wrong? Blah, blah, blah. He's not going to be listening to Deon uh, to uh, Mark Breland. This, listen. I wish this fight was taking place three years earlier, uh, but it is what it is. I think that, you know, people are talking, oh, the fix, this and that. You know, I, I, I thought that myself. But, you know, the more I said it over the, over the during this week about the financial, um, uh, you know, repercussions for this fight, Luis Ortiz is in position to make way more money than he possibly could have made by finding a soft place to sleep like Stavern. Stavern wouldn't have. You know, Stavern wins that fight. He doesn't have um, the opportunities that Luis Ortiz does. Luis Ortiz has zero opportunities if he loses this fight. This is a must-win fight for Luis Ortiz. It's not for Deontay. There's, listen, the large scope of things, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm rolling the dice. Deontay Wilder should win this fight. There's no question about it. Deontay Wilder should win this fight. I'm not picking him because I don't think he has the talent to, uh, to beat a technically sound fighter. And that's what he's going to be facing on Saturday night. And I could follow your train of thought there. I think we're going to see the best Deontay Wilder as of yet. And I think, uh, I think he's going to rise to the occasion. I think he's going to do what he thinks he's supposed to do. And as I said, I think he's going to jump on Luis Ortiz. And I think he's going to either stop him very early, within two, three rounds. And if not... I don't think Luis Ortiz will see the end of the sixth round. You know, the other thing you got to keep in mind, Lu Luis Ortiz has to understand that he's not winning a decision. He can batter. It reminds me of Jimmy Young battering Muhammad Ali oh, yeah. in 1976 from, from ring post to ring post for 15 rounds, and Ali got no. the decision. Um, I, you know, Luis Ortiz could batter. Deontay Wilder from ring post to ring post for 12 rounds and not get this decision. And another thing to consider, don't think for a minute that this fight won't end uh, on some kind of flunky thing, a disqualification, uh, a headbutt, let's go to the scorecard, you know, something crazy. You know, this fight has the, 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 the makings of something controversial happening unless Deontay knocks him out quick. If Deontay doesn't knock this guy out quick, and we start seeing Deontay slowly deteriorating before our eyes and Ortiz starting to pick up momentum, and, and as we start to see the fight swing to Luis Ortiz's uh, favor, don't be surprised if something freaky happens. A cut, a disqualification, you know, some kind of technical decision. They go to the scorecards. Something crazy. Don't think for a minute that that couldn't happen. That's why 
this fight has to end in a knockout for Luis Ortiz if he plans on winning. If he really wants to win this fight, he has to knock out Deontay Wilder. He really does. And, and you know, so you have all of that going against you. Luis Ortiz has all of that. He's got the age. He's got the height. He's got punching power. He's got the fact that nobody's going to, none of the judges are going to root for him. Uh, you know, they're not going to score for him. And Luis Ortiz is clearly the underdog. The only way he's going to win this fight is exactly how I predict it. He's going to stop Deontay in the later rounds. And 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 like I said, this is going to make Deontay Wilder a better fighter, Sal. If he loses, oh, yeah. it'll, it'll make him a better fighter. If I he agree. wins, it'll make him worse. If Deontay Wilder should lose, I know we're going to see a better fighter evolve out of Deontay Wilder. But not saying I'm going to predict he's going to win, and I still think he'll evolve to be a, a better fighter. I think he's still improving. That's what I'm trying to say. He's capable of doing it. I think he's still improving, and and that's why I think you know he's got to. We have. That's why I've said several times we haven't seen the best Deontay Wilder yet. We're going to, and I think over the next couple of fights we're go- we're going to be we're going to be like wow okay that's Deontay Wilder. Well, I you see better what, see it. What, you better see the best Deontay Wilder Saturday because well, yeah, no, well it, the, as of yet, and the, that's what I'm looking for. We're going to see. The best Deontay Wilder as of yet in his career. And I'm telling you, he's capable of it. And first of all, I, I like the fact this guy's an athlete, okay? Not that Luis Ortiz is not, but I like a fighter when he keeps himself in shape, when his body is responding to the way he can do things and move. And, and, and that tells me also for the long haul, you get to the 8th, the 10th, the 12th round. Deontay Wilder, I think he'll be in a better condition, better shape. And I think, you know, if it does go to that distance and that long length of a fight, you know, uh, again, I think Deontay Wilder will be in better condition to put on a better level of performance than Luis Ortiz in the later rounds. I don't know. Larry Holmes. Larry Holmes. Larry Holmes. Larry Holmes never looked like he was in any kind of shape, no, and he went no, fifteen rounds many times. Larry you Holmes know? was a great classic example. I well, know that. Well, I know and, that. and and I agree with you, and that's one of the things I do like about Deontay Wilder. He's always in good shape. But let me tell you something, Deontay Wilder, uh, and nobody's done it to him yet. But Deontay Wilder's body is uh, is susceptible. Deontay Wilder only weighs. In his last fight, he weighed 220 and uh, three-quarter pounds. The heaviest he ever weighed was 230. Um, you know, so yeah, this is a guy that's six foot seven. I'm five foot eight, and I weigh 200 pounds. Yeah, I'm a fat bastard, but that's 30 pounds. This guy, this guy's a foot taller than me, a foot taller. <laughs> And he's got muscles, muscle on top of muscle. And he's only 30 pounds heavier than me? Come on. I, listen, the, the <laughs> difference, the, the, the difference is, is that Luis Ortiz... Let, let me tell you another thing. Luis Ortiz has a great hook to the body. I, I'm, I'm telling you that Deontay Wilder is in trouble on Saturday night. I, if, if Luis Ortiz comes to fight, which I, I I'm I'm buying that he is. He I'm buying be in the ring it. if he's not. And, and let me tell everybody else. You know, I've gotten emails. I've uh, people were talking about it yesterday in the chat room, and they're all saying, "Oh, oh Ortiz got a uh, an injured hand. He, you know, he, he he's is he's, he's a big knot on his hand. It's injured. It's this. It's that." Let me tell you, I remember that knot on his hand when uh, I was down and and called the first fight. I it I distinctly remember uh, that that. Uh, 
uh, not was on his was on his hand, and I I, I found it strange. Um, but uh, but that's what that knot's from. Now whether he injured that again or not, I don't know. Um, but uh, but the truth of the matter is is uh, I I think that uh, it's going to be a good fight, and and I do agree um, that uh, you know the truth of the matter was was that uh, you know Deontay Wilder is going to have to perform in the best fight of his life to win on Saturday night despite fighting uh, an almost 50-year-old Luis Ortiz. I'm telling you, in, in order for him to win, he's got to fight his best fight, Sal. Oh, that's what I'm saying. You, you rise to the occasion. And that's what that's what I've been professing all along about Deontay Wilder. He's going to fight as good as the level of his opposition. And that's why we have not seen the best Deontay Wilder yet. I see Deontay Wilder displaying and putting on a good show and uh, knocking out Luis Ortiz. That's that's my prediction. That's what I'm going to stick to. Until I'm proven different, uh, I'm going to say Deontay Wilder. Yeah, well, um, you know, that's what makes uh, uh, boxing so good. And to be honest with you, Sal, when you have a fight that, um, you know, we disagree on, or I'm not just saying you and I, but people can well, I know. make a comment uh, and a prediction on both sides of the fence. You know what that tells us? But the fight is uh, going to be a pretty good one. You know, all the other yes. fights were pretty much dead on the same. Uh, but we look at this fight, we see two different things. And, and you know, I'm going to be criticized about uh, Deontay Wilder. You know, I, I'm waiting to see how long uh, it is before someone says, uh, oh, it's a racist uh, move. You're not picking Deontay because he's black. Uh, give me a break. All right. I, the, the reason I'm, I'm not picking Deontay is simple. I don't think Deontay Wilder has the pedigree you know i don't go by just the numbers i don't go by just 39 wins i look at who those wins were against i look and and when i tell you this fight is important to the sport of boxing it's important to the heavyweight division i have spent no less than six hours re-watching uh, uh uh deontay wilder's fights you know unfortunately for me Luis Ortiz, uh, his fights weren't as available, and they were against opponents that really I couldn't um, uh, get what I got out of uh, the fights against uh, uh, the fights with Deontay Wilder. Deontay Wilder has not gotten better in a sense for 39 fights. This guy, if you go back and look at his early fights, you know, when he, when he had 10, 15, 20 fights that are all available on YouTube, um, you know, the truth of the matter is, is he hasn't really gotten better. The only thing that he's gotten better at is his mouth and jumping up. He can now jump up on that rope without any problems. The first couple of times he jumped up on that rope, he almost fell, you know. Uh, but as far as his boxing ability, I haven't seen much improvement. I still see those that terrible footwork. I, I still see lack of defense. I see him relying on that, that freakish, and he does have freakish knockout uh, power. And Luis Ortiz is, is, has to be conscious of that. You know, he's never been in with someone that I know of uh, that could hit him uh, as hard as uh, Deontay can. And although I keep talking about Luis Ortiz's best performance, at least that I saw, was against Brian Jennings, Brian Jennings... Uh, is a is a is more of an athletic fighter. He's a he's a he's a wear you down type of a fighter. Totally different than Deontay Wilder. Deontay Wilder is a seek and destroy fighter. Um, I, I'm telling you, if Luis Ortiz can survive the first three four rounds, um, you're going to see Deontay go to sleep. 
if Deontay can jump all over Luis Ortiz, this fight's going to end quickly. And uh, we gotta, uh, I'm going to at least have to give Deontay uh, the credit. And then one thing is going to become obvious to me, Sal. Uh, not that? only the obvious obvious that you were right and I was wrong, uh, but the one thing that's going to become obvious to me is if Deontay Wilder charges and goes after Luis Ortiz uh, to put him away, I know people are going to say, well, then I know it's a fix. And I, you know, alluded to that a couple of weeks ago, but I, I've changed my stance on that. No, it's, it's um, definitely not I, a fix. I, um, I, I think that if Deontay Wilder goes all over uh, um, Luis Ortiz and wins uh, by a second, third-round knockout, or a quick stoppage. That's another thing you're going to have to keep an eye on, a quick stoppage. All those tangibles, Sal, quick stoppage, headbutt, disqualification, all those things, don't be surprised if we don't see it. But but uh, the other thing that will become blatantly clear to me if Deontay goes and destroys Luis Ortiz in, in two or three rounds isn't that he's that great, but that that's what he would do against um, – Anthony Joshua, or even Joseph Parker, whoever wins that fight, that that's his only way of fighting. And I think that that's dangerous. I, I really do. I, I think that from a perspective of a talent level and evaluation, I would like to see Deontay come out and box a little bit. Show me that he's thinking rather than seek and destroy. What's your thoughts on that? It's a good, uh, it's a good opinion. And, you know, I'll, I'll tell you something. My opinion and my following Deontay Wilder changed about a year, year and a half ago. And you probably note that. Um, I had a, uh, a family come into my restaurant uh, from his hometown. I don't mean New York either. And, you know, they knew about the show. They knew about uh, my experience with boxing. And they asked me about Deontay Wilder. And I said, well... Like we've said, I, I and I'm humbling myself right now. I said, I really haven't seen Deontay Wilder tested or enough to really give my opinion, but I, I don't think he's going to be uh, at a certain level or against an Anthony Joshua or something here. And I, you, I might as well have told this family that they lost a family member. I mean, they were devastated. In other words, they believed the Kool-Aid. They believed everything about Deontay Wilder. And all the father of this family asked me to do is, Sal, pay attention. Get to learn a little bit more about Deontay Wilder. You'll see why we, we are big fans and supporters of him. This, is, this was big. And I said, I will do that. I will do that. And I started studying Deontay Wilder. I started learning a little bit more about him. And I started empathizing and seeing. And, and as a fighter to a fighter... There's certain things I think that I could relate to, and that's why I turned around and I became a Deontay Wilder fan. Well, what did Deontay? I, I got to ask you. No, what I, did I, I want to know? I want to know, Sal, what Deontay Wilder has shown you, aside from his punching power and aside from his mouth, that would justify you saying, you know what, he's got potential. I, I want to know what. Tell me technically what you saw. Technically, what I saw is just what I what I see in any good fighter, his desire to win and being a champion and and, and coming back and trying to sh shut up the naysayers and and not having 
been shown differently up to this point in his, his career. So I think I could understand his frustration. I think I could understand where he has to prove himself. And I think that's the mode he's in. He wants to shut up the naysayers. He wants to prove himself. And he's going to have the, the, the technical ability to do so once he has the right dance partner. I think it's in him. I think he just needs to have the right partner. And to, I think what he's going to do tomorrow night is going to provide a good good uh, uh, base for him to become uh, Deontay Wilder he thinks he is. And I think it's going to prove to be uh, an improved fighter as he continues. I, that's, that's all I'm saying. Yep. I think he – we haven't – like I said, we have not seen the best Deontay Wilder as of yet. And I think tomorrow night I'm sticking with Deontay Wilder. I think he's going to jump all over Luis Ortiz. And as you suggested or as you first asked me, do you think that's a good style to do? Seek and destroy and do it right off the bat. Well, guess what? When you're an aggressive fighter like Deontay Wilder and you don't really want to do the feel-out period and box and be technical sound and this and that, and you want to be aggressive and you want to jump over all over your opponent, you know, if it's going to be a, a good boxer, it's going to take the time and assess and just slip the punches and block the heavy blows and weather a storm. You know, it, it, it's two sides of the coin. I don't think Luis Ortiz is that level of a fighter to do just that just yet. Uh, and I do think that Deontay Wilder is going to catch him early with the barrage of punches. And if he jumps on his opponents early to catch him by the element of surprise and, and just set the tone, set the record, set it, set it up, then that, that, that'll be how it's going to pan out. And that's why I say if he does jump on him and he gets to him early, this fight this fight's not going to go more than two or three rounds. It, by best, I think it'll, it'll, be, uh, it'll be over by the sixth round at best. Well, we'll see. Um, you know, I, I agree that uh, Deontay has to fight the best fight of his career on Saturday night. Um, there's no question about it. And I, I just think that uh, if he just seek and destroy – uh, it's going to be up to Ortiz to survive, um, and if he does, I'm, I'm, I, listen, I already made my prediction, but I'm also putting an asterisk. Make sure you remember what I'm saying. Do not be surprised if this fight ends in a controversial manner, whether we all think that, that Ortiz wins on the scorecards and Deontay gets the nod, whether we get a disqualification, whether we get a technical decision going to the scorecards early, whether we get a cut uh, that's not uh, ruled, uh, that's ruled, uh, you know, uh, that a fighter can't continue. Whatever the case is, don't be surprised if we get uh, a controversial decision uh, in this fight. The only way that this fight would be, uh, you know, no BS is if the winner wins by knockout, whoever that winner is, if it's Deontay or if it's Luis Ortiz. So may the best man win uh, tomorrow night, and uh, we will definitely be talking uh, about uh, all those fights uh, on our post-fight show, which is Monday. We're not doing uh, a post-fight show Saturday night. But uh, one other thing while we're talking about heavyweight division, uh, you know, and this just proves why fighters end up in the position that they do. Chaz Witherspoon who at one time was a contender in the heavyweight division, then went down uh, into the cruiserweight division, and then now is back at the heavyweight division, who's never really been much. He's got a record of 36 wins and three losses with 28 wins by knockout. He is fighting uh, next weekend, and he's taking on a, a guy that I know personally, a, a fighter who fought for me and 
you know, is a tough guy, but never trains. As a matter of fact, uh, a night that uh, I had him as a main event, uh, one night uh, we go and check him out at the hotel and he's sitting at the pool slamming down beers. This was the night before he won. Uh, and this is Mike Shepard. And uh, uh, Witherspoon's fighting Shepard on March 10th. Um, my point of this isn't to promote uh, the fight. My point about this is that Chaz Witherspoon could fight a couple of more of these kinds of opponents and next thing you know becomes somebody's mandatory. That my friends, is the problem with the heavyweight division. Well, it's a problem with boxing in general. The bottom line is you need to climb a ladder. Chaz Witherspoon, I'm just using him as an example, in order for him to become a mandatory, he needs to fight somebody that's a ranked fighter. Uh, no disrespect to my man Mike Shepard, he's not a ranked fighter. His record's 25 wins, 22 losses, and two draws. Not that records indicate anything, but you're not a top 10 contender. You're not even a top 25 contender. Uh, if you want to get a, uh, you want to be a real fighter, climb the ladder. Prove that you can beat the guy on the next rung. Then climb that one, beat the guy up, and then eventually you get to the top and you fight him. That's the only way that you get better, and that's the only way that boxing uh, can be uh, where we want it. So uh, enjoy the fights this weekend. Uh, and by the way, on this day, March 2nd in 1996, Thulani Malinga uh, wins a 12-round decision over Nigel Benn to win the WBC Super Middleweight title, uh, and that took place in England. Uh, on this day in 1980, Hilmer Kenty knocks out Ernesto Espana uh, in the ninth round to win the WBA World Lightweight title, and it took place in Detroit. On this day in 1929, Spider Pladner knocks out Frankie Gennaro in the first round to win the World Flyweight title. It took place in Paris. On this day in 1896, Charles K.O. McCoy knocks out Tommy Ryan in the 15th round to win the World Middleweight title, and that took place at uh, the Empire, uh, Atlantic City in Queens, New York. That's a uh, uh, was a uh, uh, athletic club, the Empire Athletic Club in uh, uh, Queens, New York, in 1896. On this day in 1985, Aaron Pryor wins a 15-round split decision over Gary Hinton to retain his IBF World Junior Welterweight title. It took place in Atlantic City, New Jersey. And on this day, March 2nd in 1975, one of Morgan Field's favorite fighters, Roberto Duran, knocks out Ray Lampkin in the 14th round to retain his WBA World Lightweight title, and that took place in Panama City on this day in 1975. Hey, boys and girls, make sure you enjoy. I got, I got my, uh, my man right here, sitting right here. Uh, make sure you enjoy the <laughs> fights this weekend, uh, but uh, don't forget to tune in. Monday morning, same Monday bat time, morning. same bat channel. Until then, I'll leave you with this. Ciao, baby.